0: What's well, good to be back here. Um, my wife Faith and I really love coming here. Uh, this is a an exceptional church. Um, you folks have, um, I don't know if you know how good you have it, but the place is full. And um, you seem to like each other. <laughs> there's laughter. There's children. Um, I know pastors. You know, I, I coach pastors, and I talk to them. Um, about a lot of their problems, so I, I see a lot of the negative, negative. and they would, uh, I know a lot of pastors would give their right arm to have a fellowship like this, um, with so much life and love and intelligence, and there's sincerity and humility and simplicity here, not to puff you all up, but um, this, is, uh, this is a great little church. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm working with a pastor right now who um, last night had a dark night of the soul. Um, he's been battling gossip in his church, and um, it, things came to a head, and they asked for his resignation, and he doesn't know if God wants him to stay or to leave or to fight or to, you know, retreat. And uh, he, he re- God exposed some things in his own life last night that he realized he did wrong, and uh, he doesn't know what to do about that, you know, whether to confess it, but because the people are so against him, he doesn't want to feed that. So this poor, this poor brother um, is really in the middle of it. So I just want to, I'm not going to mention his name, but would you join me in prayer for him right now? He actually has to face his congregation this morning, and there's just so much strife there. Um, and he has a pregnant wife and four children, And, um, you know, not making a lot of money. Uh, It's a difficult situation. So let's lift this brother up, okay? Father, we just pray for um, my pastor friend and his dear wife and their four kids and their church, Lord. That, Father, you could bring uh, just a sense of unity and peace and love and surrender to the, the fullness of Christ, Lord, for each one of them. Lord, that you would intervene in his life and give him wisdom. Help him to know what to do, Lord, whether to leave or whether to stay, Uh, Lord. And if he's to humble himself, Lord, how to do that in a way, Lord, that will bring uh, healing and forgiveness and restoration. Uh, Lord, so I thank you that uh, we can be here today. Bless uh, Life in Christ Fellowship, Lord, and Pastor Steve and his daughter as they travel. Um, May this morning be a blessing to each one who hears in Jesus' name. Amen. I could, I could just stay up here and tell pastor stories all day, but it would get too sad. Um, I don't want to do that. So we are in 2 Kings today, chapter 2. The title of the message is At the Headwaters. And it, it's, it's probably a story you've heard before, and it's certainly a message that you, you're familiar with. Um, hopefully, it will be applied in a different way, in a fresh way, uh, for you to be able to see things a little bit differently. Um, there's, you know, a lot of stories in the Bible are meant just to glorify God, you know, as as a miracle that God, you know, to talk about God's power. This is one of those stories, but there are also some other purposes why this story is in the Bible. I believe um, there's some illustrations, there's some applications that we can make. That we um, and, and that's what I try to do as a pastor and as a speaker is to maybe bring to light some of those other applications of the same story or scripture. So we're in 2 Kings chapter two, beginning in verse 19, and the uh, the primary character is Elisha, uh, who is a one of the great prophets of God. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, "Please notice." The situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water, and cast in the salt there, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. So there's a principle found here, and one that Jesus opened for the whole world when he said that we, if we are angry with our brother, we have already murdered him in our heart. Okay, so it's really, this is about the heart. Uh, that, I mean, that's what I get from this story. It's about the heart and going to the source. Uh, when Jesus talked about the widow who gave just a few pennies that she was more generous than the rich who gave thousands. Or when he spoke to the Pharisees and he chided them for washing the outside of the cup and leaving the inside of the cup dirty. It's about what is inside. Jesus said, give that is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. That's in Luke eleven forty-one. 41. Now that's a verse... When I read that recently, I said, boy, I don't know that I've ever really heard, it, heard a message about that. And I didn't even really know that it was worded that way in the Bible. So let me read it again. Luke 11, 41, Give that, Give that is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. So, in other words, if the inside is clean, everything is clean. How many people have fallen whose lives looked good from the outside? You don't really know what's going on in a person's life. How many pastors have fallen who, who looked like everything was great, and they're very successful on the outside, and then it all comes crashing down in a day? Outward right behaviors do not produce Holiness. That is exactly backwards of how it's supposed to work. Only a change of heart can produce positive and permanent change. So this whole message, if you, I mean, you could leave now if you wanted to because I'm telling you what the whole message is about. Um, you know, I mean, if you've had enough, uh, feel free. Um, but there's a few more tidbits I've got here for you. Um, that change comes from the inside, not from the outside. When change comes from the outside, you know, like I, I would usually snap into place when my dad would bear down on me, right? Bec- why? Because I was afraid. Um, I didn't want to feel his wrath. I didn't want to feel his displeasure. And so I would conform. But it really wasn't coming from me, right? It was, it was imposed upon me. So real change comes when it comes from me. That's lasting change. That's permanent change. And that's the kind of change that God is looking for. I'll give you an example. There's a new invention for overcoming obesity. And you might want to jot this down. Or maybe not. It's actually a mechanical lock that fits on your molars. It's called Dental Slim Diet Control. You can Google it later. It allows the wearer to only open their mouth two millimeters at a time. Forcing them to stick to a liquid diet. Sounds like a living nightmare to me. I mean, it sounds like Edgar Allan Poe to me. There must be a change of heart and inner motivations if I'm going to get healthy, right? I can't have my health imposed upon me. How many doctors, I mean, how many of you have gone into the doctor and said, well, you need to exercise and lose weight? And that's not very motivating, is it? But when they tell you, you need to exercise and lose weight or you're going to die, now there's a little bit of motivation. And now that could produce a change of heart and a change of, of actual uh, lifestyle. So if you're going to lose weight, there needs to be a change of li- of lifestyle and attitude and heart that is within, not something that is imposed, imposed upon your teeth so that you can't... Chew, are you with me? No one is with me, sweetie. Randy, come on, buddy. You're, you're my, you're my buddy. Randy's my wrestling buddy. Um, and we're gonna actually have an exhibition match a- afterwards. So if if you want to stick around, forfeit. I w- I'm, I'm gonna default. <laughs> <laughs> he was more. Yeah, we could do a, What Did someone say a fundraiser? Oh, yeah, yeah. We could play it up, too. Do some trash talking. So, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So, if you've got. If, you've, if you're around someone, maybe at work or maybe a neighbor, and they've got some problems with their speech, it's coming out of their heart, isn't it? It's because that's what's within. And that's what ends up coming out. This is why love must be the motivator for all we are and all that we do. If we love God, we will want to please him. So love becomes love from the heart for God motivates me in everything else I do. If we love God, we will also love our neighbor. Everyone who loves is born of God. In contrast, we can be motivated by fear. Fear of hell. Fear of the disapproval of others. Many of you have probably worked in environments uh, on your job site where there was a, an atmosphere of fear, and that was the culture, that you were afraid to take a break or afraid to do anything or talk to your coworker worker uh, based upon what the boss might bring down upon your head. Fear of getting caught is another fear. Some preachers motivate their flock to tithe, by stressing that God requires 10% of your gross, not your net. It's got to be your gross, right? And they use that to motivate their flock to give. I don't know. I've never done that because I don't, it wouldn't motivate me. I give because I love God and I love his church and I want his church to thrive And I want the pastor to have what he needs to to live and to thrive. And and so my motivation is one of love from the heart, not doing it because I'm supposed to or someone dictates that to me. By the way, do you know how many times tithing is addressed in the New Testament? Anybody know? I held up one finger because it's one time. And it's not a direct reference to how much you should give. Okay, so I believe the standard that Jesus set for giving is to give everything, frankly. Uh, Keep what you need to survive, and then give the rest. So the standard is much higher than 10%, in fact. Uh, 10% ought to be the minimum. So I'll stop meddling now. So love is the root... Love is the motivation. So let's look at today's story. Some prominent men of Jericho, that famous city conquered by Joshua and cursed by God, came to Elisha the prophet and asked him to cleanse their waters. The city is beautiful today. It was beautiful then. It's an oasis. It rises up out of the dust and the dryness of that land. It's full of palms. It's full of trees with fruit. It's lush. It's beautiful. How many have been there? Has anyone been to Jericho? Yeah, I was there too. Just briefly, just kind of passing through. Um, they say there's a 2,000 year old sycamore tree. And guess who they claim climbed that tree? Zacchaeus, right? How do they know that? They don't know that. Um, but, you know, it's a good tourist attraction. I think it's $20 to see the tree or something like that. Um, they're making their buck there. So this is a beautiful place today. It was beautiful then, but beauty back then could not be enjoyed because the water was polluted at its source. What good is an amazing view from a beautiful mansion if you can't drink the water? It's like a person who just hits the big time. Everything is working together. They have money, they have family, they have beauty, they have prestige, but they contract a terminal disease, and they have just a few weeks to live. Money and other good things mean nothing if there's no health at the root. So these people needed health. They had beauty. They had riches beyond belief, but they had no health. Water is the essence of life here on earth. Without a healthy and bountiful supply, there is no good life. They had no Culligan man back then. We have sulfur water at our house. smells like rotten eggs sometimes, so we have a whole house filter, and we can take care of some of that. Some of you maybe have difficulties with your water as well. Now we have Culligan, man. Back then they didn't have that. The number one problem in the world conti- conti- contributing to poverty, death, and disease is the lack of good water. We have a missionary named Gary Higgins. I don't know if you, if you support Gary Higgins. Have you hear of Gary Higgins? Uh, Assembly of God missionary. Uh, and he's done a number of different things. He was mostly mostly in health care. Right now, his his ministry is to go around the world with water filters, small little water filters, and uh, distribute them in communities in the name of Christ and to teach them how to use them and to help them to overcome their problems of having bad water. That's his whole ministry. And he spreads Christ while he's doing that. That's a great thing. So this water problem had the compound effect of making the cattle spontaneously abort their babies, their calves, the crops would not come to harvest, and the women could not bear children. Okay, so this was a big deal. The land had been cursed by God many generations before. And we can go to Joshua 6.26 and read that, where it says, Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So there was a curse upon the city, and it was essentially the curse that Elisha was reversing in his healing of the waters. The inhabitants of Jericho at this time were actually a group of student prophets who were under the leadership of Elisha. They were spiritual men, and they sought an answer to their dilemma from their teacher, rabbi, prophet, Elisha. The healing of the waters was effected in a unique way. Elisha asked for a new vessel to be brought to him with salt in it so he could pour it in at the source. The source was perhaps the same as it is today, and I researched this a little bit because I wanted to find out, did they have a well? Did they have you know, a river? Uh, I mean, what was flowing through? How did they, um, how did they get their water? Well, it turns out that Jericho is the, is the lowest elevation city in the world. And, a, and possibly the oldest city in the world. Um, and so I wanted to know where they got their water. Their water comes from a spring down from the mountains. Because they're very low. So there's a spring, and probably multiple springs, that come down from the mountains. And that's where Elisha went to cleanse their water. was to the spring. There is a, this is a story of the cleansing power of the Word of God. God uses little things to do mighty miracles. Jesus spits into some mud to open the eyes of a blind man. Moses puts a bronze snake on a pole to bring healing from snake bites. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And faith, like a mustard seed, heals the soul. Now, I'm 64 years old. We have one granddaughter. She is a little thing, but she's big in my life. And she has given me a new outlook, and I can't wait to see her because I want to make her smile. I want to do stupid things to make her laugh and crawl on the ground with her and take her and show her flowers and, and bugs and pigs and, and uh, just make her, get her excited to enjoy life. So little things are often the best things in life, aren't they? So the, the salt in itself was not really the thing that was going to heal the water. Although I will say this, that when you have a water treatment system in your house, and there's a, you have a big tub in your basement, right? What do you have to pour into that big tub? Salt. So salt does have a cleansing effect even for water. But I don't think that's what was going on here. So let's talk about the heart, because there was healing that was needed for this spring, which was the source of their life and their water. We have a spring in our life as well. That spring is your heart. The self-help industry is pretty big. And I don't know how many of you read self-help books. But if you're in some kind of business or industry, you're probably looking for personal development and getting better at what you do. And so you read books, or I listen to them on Audible. And we want to get information to try and, and help us to get better at our job. Uh, or, or in life, or in our relationships, or as a Christian. But that kind of reformation uh, has a limited impact if, if, the, if the help that we're getting does not affect our heart, meaning our emotions, if it's all cranial, if it's all in your brain, it's probably not going to do much in, in, in a way to affect you. It's got to reach your heart, and there's got to be a motivation to want to change and to want to get better. I love what it says in Mark chapter 7. What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So we have a lot of potential for evil there, don't we? There's a lot of bad stuff that, that I just read off. And you can go one by one and, and go to the bookstore and find, find a book on well how not to be a murderer and how not to be covetous. But how much quicker and easier and better would it be to just surrender your heart to Christ and allow him to take those things from you instead of you trying to reform yourself? Reformation has limited ability to change. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So if someone is abusive, if someone is critical, if someone is a gossip, if someone is depressed, these things are springing from within the very essence of who we are from the heart. And so rather than trying to reform ourselves from the outside, we need to allow God to change us from the inside. We love to rehabilitate and educate and medicate our way out of problems, but none of these deal with the source. And they can never bring sustained health to a sick heart. Why do people do the things that they do? Do you know someone who puzzles you? Someone at work, someone in your family? What is wrong with them? There's something in the heart that's amiss. There's something out of place. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is no solution that works except a frontal attack upon the heart of man. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in mind, the pure in body. No, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When our hearts are pure, our eyes are taken off of ourselves, and we can see God more clearly. So the answer in, in this story is not in removing the evil. He didn't put a filter on the water. He added something. He added salt, and that brought the cleansing. He didn't try to filter out the bad. You see the difference? We can identify our sins and then say, well, I'm going to not. I'm going to stop doing that. How many times have you said, I'm going to stop doing that? Do you stop doing it? No, because you haven't dealt with the reason why you're doing it. Human beings can't remove sin. Only God can. We can never on our own reach a level of purity that would satisfy the holiness of God. We can't make resolutions and kick habits, turn over new leaves. This is all flesh. That's applying the wrong remedy. Now, most water filters remove anywhere from 83 to 99% of harmful chemicals, viruses, and other harmful substances from our water. There's no filter that will remove everything. So we could say to the Lord, Lord, filter my sin. Get rid of 99% of all my sin. Apply a filter to my sin. No, we need a miracle of deliverance. We need for him to put something in at the source, the spirit of God himself at the very source. And that is the quickest and best and most thorough way for us to see reformation of our behavior. We have to deal with the right solution. It's about seeing the pollution in our own hearts and deciding that the sin we see there is something we hate. Now, I suspect that many of you have been Serving God a long time. How many of you uh, gave your heart to Christ 30 years ago or more? Okay, good percentage. How about 20 years ago or more? 10 years ago or more? Okay, seems like most of you have been at it for a while. There's, you know, and hopefully, because of that, most of the big sins are taken out of your life already. You know, you're not going out on Friday night and getting drunk, and you're not running around, and you're not stealing money at work. And I mean, hopefully, those are not things that are happening in your life, and you're not even tempted to do those things anymore. So I have a little book in my library. I still have it. It's called Sins of the Day. And I love this book because it identifies sins that we, we don't recognize. Um, in other words, it would not necessarily be enumerated at the Bible, in the Bible. Uh, they're not big sins. They're, they're little sins. And they're sins that you and I would maybe tend to kind of forgive and just overlook. You know, like thinking or speaking unkindly about someone in a way that is doesn't help them and maybe we're just trying to make ourselves look better right so these small sins that are indicators that we are not yet perfect and so I'll I'll thumb through that once in a while to remind myself that I still have a long way to go I've removed a lot of the big rocks out of my life but there's still some little pebbles that get caught in my shoe once in a while that, cause, that can cause me to stumble and are, are still grievous to God, even though they're little. Are there little sins and big sins? We tell ourselves there aren't, right? But we kind of live like there are. Until we see our sin as a polluting factor that makes the ground around us barren and turns the pleasant situation into a nightmare, can we find the radical source of our help? So we have to recognize we still need help. We still need cleansing. We still need forgiveness. I think it's important when we receive communion every month to take time to think about areas in our life where we have failed. Because they're there if we take the time to look for them and to confess them silently before the Lord before we receive communion. That's why we do that. People continue in in sin until the illumination of God's Holy Spirit awakens us to our own depravity. So it's not what we take away that makes the difference but what gets put in, and that is the new heart that only Christ can give to us. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. When applying this to groups or nations, This has a clear application. When the flow of life in a community, state or nation, becomes fouled, would you say that the state of our nation has become fouled? I know you probably agree with me that it has. It's become fouled. We have a pretty serious problem on our hands in the division in this nation, right? Right? And so we can look at that and recognize, say, and blame it on gr- groups of people, but it's really about ideas, it's about sins, it's about man's corruption. I have a little book called Dr. Frankenstein and the World Systems. And the, the, the thesis in this book, it's a little tiny book, it's, it's an amazing book. It talks about human systems and how some systems are redeemable and some are beyond redemption. The only way to reform a human system is to go back to the root and the founding of why that system came into being, whether it's a corporation or a church or a nation. You've got to go back to the reason why it was formed in the first place, because that's where the purity is. You cannot just apply fixes to it and try to reform it back to where it was. It needs to return to its original purpose. So in America, we can elect new leaders, we can pass new laws, we can develop new strategies all day long, but these are band-aids and they fail to address the root of the problem. The root is the heart of man. The heart of man is corrupt. Any organization, or institution we develop will eventually deteriorate into self-serving, greed, and corruption of all kinds. It's the natural entropy that happens with any human organization, and the church is not excluded from that. Now, we have more means to address it, don't we? So when the church becomes corrupt, we have the means to address it. It's redeemable, but some human systems are not redeemable. They get, they get beyond the point where they can return to their original purpose. They are too corrupt. So what we are flows from the heart, from inside of us. Reformation and behavior modification do not work. Unless the heart is purified, there is no hope of a clean life. So, a couple of closing questions. Why do I do the things I do? What is my purpose in doing the things that I do? Why do I say the things that I say, and why do I treat some people differently than other people? It flows from what is already in my heart. If I'm angry, it may not be obvious on the outside, but I may harbor it on the inside, and it will come out in my speech and my actions. Some of the angriest people appear to be very nice, but maybe you know someone who's passive-aggressive, right? And they, they express their anger in passive ways, things that they won't do for you, things that they don't say to you not things that they do to you actively. The same is true of pride and greed and jealousy and hatred and more. So we have to remember Psalm 119, where it says, Your word have I hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Okay? Going back to the heart. If his word is in our heart, that acts as the purifying force so that my actions will be pure. Elisha did not attempt to heal the streams apart from the fountain. He didn't put a filter on them. He went right to the source because that's where the cleansing could happen, and only there. Those who go out to establish their own righteousness are trying to purify the stream while the spring remains unhealed. This is why it's so ridiculous when our government passes laws to try to impose things upon us, right? Because people will do it only to avoid a penalty or going to jail or public shame. It does not deal with the heart. It's an external remedy that will only be temporary. It is not Christ in the Bible that saves us. It is Christ in the heart that saves us. As Jeremiah prophesied centuries before Christ, then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. It is sad when I see pastors trying to get their people to tithe or telling them to... You know, when they, when they miss a week at church, they call them up and say, you should have been in church on Sunday. You know, your, your excuse is not good enough. Does that motivate you? It doesn't motivate me. Full surrender is where we must start. Recognize your need first. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Show you who you are. The word of God is like a mirror, and it will show you who you are. If you're unsure, gentlemen, ask your wife. She'll tell you. Ladies, ask your husband. He'll tell you. There were times early in our marriage when Faith and I would do that, and we'd end up staying up all night because we had to resolve it, right? Right? I mean, if you're going to bring that up, you you have to have time to resolve it and talk it through and and forgive each other and cry and all of that. Recognize your need, humble yourself, and ask God to pour in more of Christ. I'll close with Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I think the greatest gift that Jesus gave to the church in his teaching was this idea that it's about our motivation. You know, if if you're angry with your brother, You've already murdered them in your heart. And how important that motivation is in your spirit and how it will affect your whole life. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and and for this story, which is a story of a miracle it happened thousands of years ago, but illustrates to us, Lord, the importance of dealing with the root of things. Father, forgive us those times when we've tiptoed around the truth, when we have dealt with peripherals and not with the main issue, when we have not taken responsibility for ourselves, and the reasons that we do things. Father, I thank you for this great church, for its pastor and its leadership, and all these great families, Lord. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Use them to reach this community. May others see, Lord, the sincerity and the desire to please you, Lord. Lord, may our motivations be pure when we give and when we love and when we help someone. Not helping to be seen or to be thought well of, but merely to glorify the name of our Savior and to show what you mean to us, Lord, and to share your love with others. In all these things, Lord, we are grateful for that your word is true, that it's consistent. We see this principle throughout the word of God, Lord, that you want to get to the very heart of things, and that when we surrender, Lord, you are faithful to bring healing and forgiveness and, yes, transformation to each one of our lives, Lord. Maybe there's someone here this morning, and you would say, Rich, would you just pray for me? Uh, Your words have brought to light some things in my own heart that I need to deal with, and I'm going to be wrestling with those the next few weeks. And I would love if you would just pray with me. Is there someone that would raise your hand and say that? Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. So, Father, we lift up each one of us. And we give you our hearts, Lord. We did that, most of us, many years ago. We do it again right now. We Surrender and say, Lord Jesus, take the reins. Take control and begin at the source. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your kind attention. God bless you, and have a wonderful day. Anyone else need to wrap up, or are we done? We're done. God bless you.